How's it going? What's new in your world? I'll tell you what's new in my world. Uh, and this is not a fact or I mean, it's a fact. It's not fun. But uh, <laughs> but but I wanted to tell you about this because I think you might be vaguely interested. OK, which is that, you know, the, the new iPhone, the uh, the 10s. Yes. Uh, one of the features that I don't think was a big deal to most people, uh, but is a big deal to me uh, is that it has the ability to have uh, a physical SIM card and then an eSIM card. Right. Yes, that's that's cool because then you could have like a, if you're traveling, you don't need to not have your um, your normal number and you could receive a text from, you know, an SMS verification or something from your home phone number, but then you could get cheap data. Right. So that is one of the reasons one might be excited about this. But in my case, the reason is because like some people, uh, my work will pay for my phone line, but I'm on a family plan with my wife and and a friend of mine and uh and uh and you know it's just not worth getting off the family plan and so they'll pay for the cost of the plan you gotta expense it every month anyway i want to clarify this is all like whatever's past first world problems we're getting to like minus one yeah world uh, my work is paying for my phone for plan, sure. but it's too much work to change it for sure no, no, listen, for sure. But anyway, so I've been doing it. What I what I ended up doing when I, when they were like, oh, we'll get you a phone plan, because I wanted to have that SIM card for traveling and, you know, just in general, was like, I was like, okay, cool. And they, they just set me up with a new line. And I was like, okay, well, I have uh, one of the U.S. carriers. I have AT&T, but I'll get this one on Verizon. That'll be really nice, because like before we were on a family plan, my wife was on Verizon, and it was nice to have both, because like one of us always had service. So I was like, sure. okay, I'll get a, get a Verizon one. So then they gave it to me in like a different phone and i had two phones which is again a zero percent problem but like um not really ideal for anything it's like i'm not really going to use two cell phones like that's a work i mean i know some people carry work phones and home phones but i i'm not doing enough with my work phone for that to be like a reasonable thing to do so i I, I tend to say if someone carries a work phone and a home phone that's a bad sign yeah totally so it basically just made no sense so basically i just had the sim card i wasn't using and so when they announced this phone i was like oh this is gonna be awesome i will put the work SIM card in the phone, I'll put my SIM card in the phone and then I'll have both and I can have work pay for the data, but I'll have my number and it's just going to be, I can lower our plan. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and so I was very excited and then the phone came out and they were like, Oh, coming later. And, uh, later eventually came and they were like, okay, now we support this. And what I wanted to tell you was like, it is awesome. I have it. It is great. But the process, at least with AT&T to set this up, is ludicrous and i think that they definitely do not want you to do this because (laughs) (laughs) what i had to do at least when i did it is that i had to go first of all i went online and looked for like documentation i want to do there was none and then i went to the apple store because i heard from someone that maybe they could help me and i was like hey uh i want to switch my sim to be an e-sim because one of the two sims has to be this new e-sim right and they were like okay cool and they handed me this like like laminated like kind of like a card you would have for like a rewards card or something like that that had like a qr code on it and some numbers they're like here cool and i'm like do you need to do anything else and they were like nope i'm like okay so i scanned the qr code and that just created another line on my phone (laughs) like which is like totally not useful like a new phone number like it didn't have a phone number. It didn't have anything. It just was like it registered that it existed, but it was like this is going to be a new line of service that you need to go set up. Okay. So then I went to the AT&T store and they were like, yeah, we uh, we don't know. <laughs> and that's probably just because it was very early on. Mm-hmm. But they were like, you just need to call AT&T. So I was like, okay. So then I called AT&T and then they had to do some stuff on the phone to like move my SIM thing from the SIM card to the eSIM card took forever and now then after that i could actually put like take that sim out and put the verizon sim in once you got to the i had to actually like once you've been to two stores and then you're calling at&t it's like this is not worth it that's what i'm saying this is what i'm saying and the only reason i kept doing it is because i was at that point very like i'm going to finish this but (laughs) that is clearly not something that they think that you're gonna do yeah that's what you get for being an early adopter too you know yeah probably probably i will say that now that i have adopted it oh man it's awesome and apple was really thoughtful like the ui of like how you see that you have two lines and like how you choose who you're going to call from and how you set up which one you're using it's really good that kind of stuff often like people flippantly say like 
uh, uh, like it's been eight years. How does Apple not support this yet? And normally it's like somebody did the, not normally, but often it's like somebody did a bit of research and I'm like, well, if we're going to support this and you kind of have to support this and you kind of need a way to choose in between these things and you kind of need to actually change this screen of this app also. And then it's like, oh, okay, it's actually a bunch of work. Okay, well, then it gets deferred when it seems like, well, I don't just support an eSIM and a normal SIM. Like the eSIM doesn't like take any space. So like, why don't they just add it? Yeah. What's the yeah. big deal? What's the big deal? No. Yeah. I think it is quite a big deal, but it is, it is awesome. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there that, man, that's ridiculous. I heard that the Verizon one, the Verizon process is better. Like, I think you can just use their app, which is what I assumed. Like, how I assumed this would work is that I would go into the carrier app on my phone, and then there'd be a QR code, and it would be like, cool, I'm done. Apparently, those apps uh, for the carriers have a bunch of, like, private APIs that are, like, not very well documented, but are, like, word of mouth passed down, like, in between some Apple engineer or whenever and the person maintaining the app at that time. <laughs> or, like, maybe there's, like, some basic documentation. And then, like, you, like, have these incantations that you can't Google when there's an error because no one else uses them to do things like provision eSIMs. And- I'm going to tell you right now that I fully believe that. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to someone wanted at one point wanted us to estimate building one of these apps like mm. at a carrier and and i was sort of looks looking at requirements like some of these things I, I don't know like there's no documentation for like oh yeah it's like some voodoo <laughs> like, okay eight weeks like, great voodoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, oh it's our standard voodoo charge yeah uh no problem we got you covered yeah <laughs> well by the time people hear this episode there will have been some episodes. Yeah. So this is our episode four. fourth episode. This is our fourth episode now. Uh, but the first three we pre-recorded and then started yeah. releasing. Like you do. We started releasing them. Like you do. You know, you do a trial run. Is this going to work? Uh, will it blend? Uh, and it blended. So now we've been releasing those episodes. And we, <laughs> in some of the episodes, we made some jokes about how, like, you know, no one listens to the show or or, or there's no feedback but little did we know, actually, people are listening to the show, and uh, we actually got some really awesome feedback. We have feedback. We got a lot of feedback. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Um, so that's been super fun, uh, and I felt kind of bad like at it, releasing these episodes that ignores the feedback. Um, but let's uh, let's see what we got. You want to? Why don't you start? Yeah. So uh, we got a few here. Here. So Aline Sims, uh, friend of the show. All these people are friends of the show because they're sending us feed. I, I feel like if you send feedback in the first two episodes, you become you become a friend of the show. But you also, literally, all these people are friends. They're also the show. friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. We love you. Well, I mean, but there's a the, like you know, not to you know humbly and uh-huh. and uh, and I've been kind of humbled about the listenership. Uh, I, I feel like there's more listeners of the show than I have friends already oh yeah no no for sure but the people who this the shall <laughs> the we call them wrote like in super are... fans yeah they are <laughs> friends of ours mostly <laughs> and we really appreciate you yeah these these are some cool people so we're gonna give uh we're gonna share their cool fab- feedback so uh aline sims uh, wrote in about our broom cleaning tip uh which was the the, the fact that you can clean a, a broom uh and she pointed out that not only can you clean a broom in your bathtub with with soap um but that if you do that then you can also clean the bathtub with the broom which is brilliant so you get like a two-in-one it's brilliant I, I never would have occurred to me that's an adulting life hack fact yeah for real that's amazing like i literally that never would have occurred to me no but i mean if you're doing if you're already cleaning the room <laughs> you know like <laughs> no it makes sense it's one of those things when you hear it and you're like I've all my life choices have been wrong. Yeah, exactly. The amount of time I've spent scrubbing <laughs> bathtubs. Exactly. Marco Arment wrote in to ask two things. Uh, one is uh, about our sketchy and failed attempts to get apps to download YouTube videos. And he asked, have you tried YouTube DL? Yeah. So this is the best because uh, if you may recall from that episode that I paid for that software twice. Or you did end up actually, like, did you try writing in the support being like, no, hey, I'm an you, idiot. you shamed me. <laughs> <'Cause> you, <laughs> you shamed You're doing it on the podcast and failed yeah. to put in your email address. You shamed me. And so I just, after the show, I did it again. <laughs> so, so you now own two copies of this app. Is it good? Well, I don't own two copies because I, one of them I never recovered, but I, uh, I, it is good, but 
uh, it is completely unnecessary because the funniest part about it is so shortly after that, uh, on Marco's own extremely wonderful podcast, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, they talked about this command line tool called YouTube DL, which will do the exact same thing as this app I paid all this money for. And then when I was like, oh, that's so great. I'm going to use that because I like the command line and I don't know, it seemed cool. I went and checked and I already had it. You already had YouTube DL. I already had YouTube DL. So now you have three. <laughs> yeah. So not only did I pay twice for an app, but I didn't even need the app in the first place. Not because something else existed, but because I already knew about that something and had that something. And had forgotten about it. Yeah. But I did get some extremely useful pointers on how to use it better. And my copy was like really out of date. So I'm not sure it would have done everything I needed to do. But yeah, no, no. It's great. YouTube DL is really, really impressive. That was not the only piece of feedback he gave, though. Yes. So he pointed out that maybe instead of uh, getting... an locked on your porch uh with some indian food by your your smart lock failing you could maybe try a non-smart lock that just has one of the keypads like the one that slage slage i think it's schlager schlager but i don't know one of the lock companies schlager yeah i think it's schlager uh they make these locks which i've used like the airbnbs where you just you know you have a keypad and it's it's not doesn't try to be smart you don't have an app but you know, supposedly they actually open your door. So, yeah. So the funny thing again about that is that my parents have one of those locks. <laughs> so I've used And you actually of, bought two in there. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I've used it many times. But what I did not know until until Marco gave us that wonderful feedback is that you can it can install into. So the problem is that I, I don't own the house I live in. And so um, I didn't want to get one of the reasons I got the August lock was because I wanted something that would fit into the existing deadbolt situation because i don't want to do like a lot of remodeling to a house that's not mine i would have to sure go talk to the landlords and actually if you if i think you have seen our front door it has like five locks on it already yeah. uh, throughout the years you can see like the history of the house through the locks but uh this one i believe uh will actually fit into that hole so uh i'm seriously contemplating it i haven't broached the topic with my wife yet because <laughs> i think she's probably a little bit traumatized what happened last time but uh yeah, it'll probably happen at some point. It, it it definitely looks like a great solution. Yeah, definitely the the appeal of the smart lock in theory, but you know, as a software engineer, I think we're both well aware that the maybe the dumber our security devices are, the better. One hundred percent. Sam Gross uh, also he sent us two facts that were both car related. Um, so the the one was about the butt detectors. Remember this? Yeah. In the Tesla, there's uh, butt detectors that will complain if it thinks there might be a butt in a Correct. seat that doesn't have a seatbelt on. Um, and we thought that was maybe overboard and or you thought it was kind of weirdly passive aggressive. Uh, and But apparently the reason the car makers are all rolling these out is because it gives you an extra star on the European safety ratings. And it's easier to do that than, you know, like make the car that much safer. Uh, so it actually uh, it gives them like uh, bonus points. It is shocking how many things in our life are the way they are because of some sort of either tariff or border or yes. weird law or whatever. Yeah, like Marco's thing on again on Accidental Tech Podcast talking about how uh, normal like SLR cameras will only record a video that's twenty nine minutes and and fifty nine seconds long because apparently in Europe again there's a tariff that's extra if it's a video camera which it defines as something that can take a 30 minute or longer video so they all the all the still cameras will just stop at 29 59 just to not have to pay the tariff which is probably only like a dollar or something but uh, yeah no i've i've heard about some of this at some jobs i've had i don't i don't know if i can talk about it but it, there's just all this kind of funny stuff of like how how you're if you're selling physical products like how they get what category they get put into like can really determine like taxing in this country in europe wherever and you try to get them in the right category because it can be a, actually a pretty big difference. There's actually a good Planet Money episode, which I'll link in the show notes, about um, a legal battle about whether or not a Santa outfit should be tariffed as a festive item or a costume. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> it's obviously both, both right? Yeah, it's obviously it's clearly both, both. <laughs> right? But the <laughs> the one of the tariffs was higher, and so of course, yep. like the tariff collecting people are like, "Oh, it's the higher one," and of course, the the fan Santa costume sellers are saying it's the lower one, and they, you know, are du we're duking it out. Now, maybe at some point on the show, we'll talk about the end of the uh, 
of the patronage system in the United States of America, supposed end. But I can tell you as a, as a teaser for that theoretical future fact, it did have a lot to do with the Port Authority of New York port collector and the ridiculous amount of money that that person was making, basically skimming off of everything that was coming into the country. That sounds profitable. Yeah, I think very. Yeah. It's good work if you can get it. It's true. Um, the other uh, car-related uh, feedback from Sam was that the anonymous in Alpha of Alpha Romeo apparently it was the type of company you know back long ago in Europe um, when you made a private company it was called an anonymous uh, company because you actually the owners could be if you set it up this way could be anonymous you just would have a share certificates and then whoever owned the share certificate could be sold to you know an upstanding citizen or maybe a non-upstanding citizen um, but then then whoever owned the company was actually not known which you may be surprised to learn caused uh, some problems around money laundering and things like that so it's no longer no longer anonymous who owns uh, giant manufacturing companies in Europe. You're suggesting that a lack of transparency in financial instruments might cause problems? I don't want to say anything controversial here. <laughs> I'm not making a political viewpoint. Yeah, I'm this is not a political podcast. That if you're money laundering, it would be nice to just, you know, receive some shares in, say, Alfa Romeo that are worth millions of dollars uh, and not have to record that anywhere in any official capacity. Yeah, that does seem convenient. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a that's a tip. If anyone needs to launder some money, just uh, go back 100 years and uh, get some Alfa Romeo stock. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get right on that. We also both got feedback from our wives. Yes. Uh, and maybe I'll go on to my wife's feedback first. She wanted me to point out that we told I told the story on a I think on the first episode of the show about um, how we lent uh, our e-golf to a friend of hers and it melted. It melted, basically. And she basically yeah. destroyed the car <laughs> by uh, by, uh, by at the time. I believed it was because she had driven a very, very long distance with the parking brake on. Right. But in fact, we later learned that like a car should the e-golf almost immediately auto detaches the parking brake if you actually start driving. And that was not the problem at well, all. We need, we should apologize to the e-golf then because we were making fun of it for not doing that. Yeah, we really should. Although I still feel like with what actually happened, the e-golf could do a better job of letting you know. <laughs> okay, but, well, it was a real problem. But the real problem is that not only had she never driven an electric car before, but she had never driven an automatic car before. And so she basically drove the car with her foot on the brake at all times the entire way. <laughs> Which okay. like, for like, And I think at one point they, the people at the, at the Volkswagen dealership said that it must have been more than like six to eight minutes at high speeds where she was braking and, and gassing at the same <laughs> okay. time. Uh-huh. So, okay, I'm going to take back the apology for VW and then just transfer it to maybe the car should beep at you for that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it knows that the that the regen, it knows you shouldn't do that. The Tesla will tell you. It'll be like, you're not driving me correctly. <laughs> stop. Uh, yes, you really need to stop. This hurts. Yeah. So... Yeah, if you're driving an electric, if you're driving any car, don't hold, you know, actually once in my life, I borrowed a car from a friend of mine, it was in college, and uh, my car was in the shop, and I borrowed my friend's car, and his car, which wasn't automatic, but it would it would stall if it got under a 1,000 RPMs, hmm. and so I had to drive it with the gas going at all times, or it would stall, and so I actually had to drive with a foot on the brake and a foot on the gas the entire weekend, or the car wouldn't drive. Hmm. So there, there is a, there is a rare case. Was that one of those like old, like uh, early eighties or seventies cars where you should need to choke for it to uh, warm up, maybe, and maybe the I choke wasn't on. I don't remember that being the case. I think it was like you know something like a mid mid eighties to mid nineties Civic, you know, something like or a Tercel, something like that. It was not a particularly nice car. Well, it's interesting to say that because the only time I've I've like been kind of stymied by starting a car was a 80s Tercel that oh. had a, like a randomly unlabeled knob that was the choke and if you had to oh. pull that out then it didn't like running and it would I don't know if it would start or maybe it would start and then stall like and then eventually you could turn the choke off after a while once it warmed up very interesting. So maybe it was maybe it's that, or maybe just it was an eighty star cell, so it sucked. I mean, who knows? I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I needed the car, and it got me through the weekend. But it, yeah, it was. But that's the only. Any other situation, don't do that. It's it's bad for the car. <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Don't drive and brake at the same time at high no, speeds. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, I, we also got feedback from my wife, Karen. Um, it's just awesome that our wives are listening to the show. I've previously done podcasts uh, that were a little bit less general interest. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's fun to have 
our, our family uh, listening. So Karen's feedback was that, because we talked a little bit about feeling bad that maybe the show was a little mansplaining. And she said, once we pointed that out, she, that she could actually sort of see where we were coming from, that maybe it is a little <laughs> mansplaining, but that, that maybe that's just a fundamental problem with a show where the premise is two men explaining yeah, I like the idea that that I believe she also suggested that, or maybe it was you, someone suggested that we should be less mansplainy and just splainy. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I would prefer to just be splainy. Yeah. Um, so if, we'll continue to solicit feedback if anyone has any uh, tips. And this is like joking because it's kind of funny, but it's also like realistically if there are, if, if anyone has any tips on how that comes across or you know certain ways that we can go about things that makes it seem a little less mansplainy and more just splainy uh please let us then, know then let us know send in more yeah. feedback please let us know Sarush Kanlu uh was the first listener uh, of multiple who wrote in about uh, everybody's favorite topic which is garburators <laughs> um well loved uh or as we call Not them called garburators on this show no on this show we call them compost disposals um <laughs> yeah. But uh, people wrote in about compost disposals and uh, pointed out that the most popular brand of compost disposal is called Incinerator, uh, which reminded him of Garburator, um, which is, in fact, why they're called Garburators in Canada, that the original brand of of compost disposal in Canada was Garburator. Uh, everything was all Garburator brand disposals. Um, and so eventually just that became what everyone calls it here in Canada. It makes so much more sense. Yeah. Uh, and then the last follow-up, uh, finally, uh, is that uh, it was brought to our attention that we omitted Nicola Romeo's amazing mustache from the episode two show notes. Uh, we'd mentioned it, uh, but it wasn't in the show notes, so it's been added now, and the employee responsible has been sacked. Yeah, this one was real bad, because we definitely talked at length about how great that mustache was, and uh, no one could easily see it. People had to Google it themselves. and Yeah, 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 like manimals. We really let y'all down. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. So with that, I think we're we're done with follow up. Yeah. So definitely wow. keep it coming. We've got uh, at Fun Fact FM on Twitter and then Fun Fact dot FM. Uh, you can send us emails. You can send us tweets. Uh, if you have our iMessages or Slacks or various other ways of communicating, we accept all currencies. Yeah. Feedback. Yeah. We just want to hear it. We love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, and also uh, while we're at the asking for feedback, uh, I don't think I haven't looked recently, but I don't know if we have any reviews on iTunes yet. Uh, and that's how Apple uh, ranks searches and recommends things. Uh, so if you're enthusiastic about the show, uh, then you can go on and there's a link from the website to iTunes and you can uh, let the world know what you think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have, well, Please don't give us reviews if you have bad things to say. Or at least send us the feedback if it's bad. Or at least let us know first so we send can... Apple the feedback if it's good. Yeah. I don't believe we Oh, we have two reviews. Oh, oh, sweet. And they're both five stars. And we we really, really love you. We yeah. love you all. These these are incredibly nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So uh with that all said, I, I have uh I have something to tell you about. Oh, okay. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it, this this came about because you you and I were texting, and and I uh, I told you that I was watching a a silent film. Hmm. Yes. And, and you texted me that 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 in your mind, uh, you were like, I have no idea like what you're listening to. Maybe maybe describe your thoughts on on your lack of knowledge about silent films. Yeah. So. You you texted me. You said that uh, I, th- I apologize for bothering you, and you said that you're just watching a silent film. And I said in my mind, uh, I, I'm not sure what that means as far as what you're listening to. In my imagination, it's like a, some old timey piano music, like kind of jaunty, maybe ragtimey piano music uh, on top of it. But then it occurred to me that if a silent film is like a hundred years old, even like or especially, uh, but if it's, it's so old that it's silent, then would they even have the like sound that goes with the film or is it like more recently someone has performed jaunty piano music or maybe even non-jaunty piano music to go with it uh and so it just kind of occurred to me in the moment that i had no idea what that even what would even comes with the silent movie yeah the last thing you said was i assume you're not sitting in silence having periodic ding noises come in yes but i'm only 90 percent sure of that. Yeah. <laughs> i assumed it was probably not just like silent even if that's the way that it came to 
like a theater or when they were going to show it because that seems like it would be kind of anticlimactic. So I thought I'd give a little bit of uh, information about this for everyone because I'm guessing you're not the only person who doesn't watch a lot of silent films. Uh, so I thought I would first talk uh, just a little bit about silent film in general and uh, how it was heard at the time. And then I'll talk a little bit about how it's heard now. And, and, and we should keep this pretty short. Uh, but so basically from the beginning of film, which is around like the mid 1890s till 1927, there was no sound with film. They didn't have the technology to do that. And films were all to your point, like people were not sitting in theaters just watching silent films with no sound. They were almost always shown with live musical accompaniment. Accompaniment. Uh, it actually originally started with a guitarist. Oh, really? Uh, That's cool. At, yeah. At the first public projection of movies by the Lumiere brothers, which was December 28th, 1895 in Paris, they had a guitarist. Hmm. And uh, this was furthered in 1896 when the first motion picture exhibit in the United States started. Now, immediately everyone understood that music was an essential key to like making a good movie that it would contribute a lot to the atmosphere and give off vital emotional cues and especially at that time when you know in silent film you have a lot less to work with there's a whole uh, side of things that you, you know you don't have access to and in fact it was so considered so important that musicians sometimes played on the film sets during the shooting for similar uh-huh. reasons they would help get the actors in character um, now, but once the full features became commonplace, once you started getting four and five and six real films, uh, the music would be compiled for, from photoplay music by a pianist, an organist, an orchestra conductor, the music, movie studio, somebody who would have a cue sheet with the film, which would show what music to play and when during the movie you should play it. And the sheets were sometimes really long. They're cool to see, like detailed notes about the effects and the moods and what the audience might be doing and how you should do it. And they would distribute, the th- by 1908, they were distributing in theaters with these scores that you could perform, either by a pianist or if there was a larger theater, maybe even a whole orchestra. Uh, and by 1915, the biggest budget films almost always had a custom score. And in fact, at the height of the silent film era, movies were the single largest source of employment for instrumental musicians in the huh. United States. And so, because they weren't, it wasn't just a jaunty pianist, they would have like, you could say, an entire whole orchestra, potentially. At the bigger movie houses. Which sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. To have a live orchestra, which they sometimes will do that now with certain, they'll do a, like a uh, well-known you know, John Williams scored film, but they, and they'll do a live uh, people can watch it with a live orchestra doing this, the sound doing the music. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really fun to go if you get a chance. Um, and that was, that was kind of how it worked in this country in the United States. And I think also in Canada, but a lot of other countries had different styles. So early cinema in Brazil, uh, had like a completely different thing with operettas, with singers performing behind the screen. Uh, in Japan, they had not only the live music, but also someone called the Benshi who was a live narrator who provided commentary and character voices. Huh. And it, it became so important in Japanese film, uh, not only for for the films that were in Japanese or produced in Japan, but also as a translation provider for foreign films, mostly American, that silent film actually persisted in Japan much longer into like the mid late 30s than it did in, in most other places. Huh. Um, but so, you know, most movies from the silent era, like the vast majority of movies, period, from the silent era are lost. Uh, and that's because it just was not they had no idea that like home movies or even reruns once sound came along they were like what is it this is this is not worth anything right so they they just didn't preserve them uh and even less of the actual original scores are intact and so very very there are a few very famous movies where this we know exactly what the score sounded like and you can still hear it but mostly because of that or that's why we have it still um, I think probably more the second one. Uh, th- certainly, like the one I'm thinking of the most famously is called "The Man with the Movie Camera," and it that that soundtrack is really, really iconic. So, like if you hear it, it's just like it'll be stuck in your brain forever. So, I think probably it was a popular thing. I, I think sometimes it's luck. I think sometimes that's why it's famous now. I think kind of kind of all of the above. But um, so nowadays there are a couple different approaches that are typically taken when either silent films are screened or whether they're reissued on DVD or Blu-ray. And and that's either that they try to do reconstructions of compositions, either because they have some idea or they try to do something that was similar to something from the period, but or they're newly composed music that is sort of um, in the style. But uh, starting in 1984 with uh, with the Fritz Lang film Metropolis, it became more common for bands to make new music of the era that uh, that that goes with the silent film. So in 1984, there was a restoration of Metropolis with a rock music score by a <laughs> producer composer named Giorgio Moroto. Moroto. Okay. And, 
and uh and there was also a it was kind of kind of uh controversial it had pop songs by like freddie mercury and pat benatar and yes but it it opened the door to this so now you get a vast vast uh variation so the film i was watching when when we were texting is uh, is called the passion of joan of arc and it's an absolutely phenomenal film but it came with the the blu-ray i have came with three different styles of scores it sure. came with a uh sort of beautiful chanting cello film like sort of modern but but you know kind of timeless score then, then it came with a more of an indie alternative like a yola tango type you know kind of thing and then it also had just a piano only score and th- there were th- none of them were like traditional none of them were were what you what you described um old timey sounding the piano was not ja- jaunty there was no jauntiness it's not a very jaunty movie but sure. um <laughs> Joan of Arc is just not the jauntiest character not the jauntiest but so so that was that one and then also over the last few years um my wife and I have gone to see several german films with a live band from berlin flown out called um or flown in, I guess, called ALP, or uh, I forget what that actually stands for, ALP. And they play like, like almost like post-rock over like, we saw the Berlin Symphony of a Great City and uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And like, it's a live band performing with the movie. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a much, uh, much more fascinating answer than I expected. <laughs> yeah, I'll include uh, some links in the show notes, especially there's an, an episode of uh, a podcast I absolutely love. A friend of the show, West Anthony, does a show called Musical Notation, which if you like movies and the music in them, you should absolutely be listening to. He's on a brief hiatus right now, but the show's amazing. But his first episode, which I'll link to, was about Metropolis and included three completely different score examples that show how vastly, wildly different you can get for the same movie. It's really interesting. That's cool. I enjoy when you see these recuts of like, you know, the trailer for for The Shining or Jaws or something, but they recut it with different music to make it like a romantic comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, just totally it changes everything. Different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Completely changes your experience. Um, while we're on the topic of uh, film, I should point out that I've become aware since we started recording this that I, especially when I'm talking to you, because you're really into into film, that I use the word film because I took a film class once and it kind of like got into my brain a little bit. But I, it, it, like listening to myself, it sounds really kind of douchey to call it film <laughs> and not movies. Uh, so I think the fact that you are so into movies and you call yeah. them mostly, you call them movies instead of film, I got to work harder to scrub that little part of my brain from from 15 years ago or 10 years ago uh my god yeah a long time ago of ta- of uh taking this one single film class uh, <laughs> and just call them movies because that's what everyone calls it it's funny that you mentioned that because uh when i started but you as you know i write about uh yes. about this stuff and when in my writing i think i only use the word film hmm. and uh i don't do that when i talk at all and I, it occurred to me, I've been doing this for like five years, and it occurred to me really recently, like within the last week, that I need to stop doing that. And you need to stop writing film, or you need to stop saying movies because it's uncouth? That's a great, yeah. I guess I did leave the door wide open on that one. Uh, I need to stop writing only film. Right. Like, I think it's really douchey. Like, <laughs> and, and I don't know what, I don't remember anymore why I thought that made sense. Um, you know, both words are like, you know, portmanteaus or variations on a thing like there's not one of them is not fancier than the other but it does sort of seem that way it has that film is definitely fancier because movie is just the more common thing people call it and that's why right also by definition like the the actual meaning of film is now doesn't even make sense anymore because almost no movies are being actually put onto film like exposed on film anymore although almost all the movies i'm writing about were that's well yeah there's that (laughs) (laughs) no but i completely agree it comes off way douchier it's just like if you actually think about the meaning of the inherent meaning of the word it's not right one is the fact that the film is moving and the other one is the fact that it's film so i I don't know that that one of them is inherently more douche than the other but they totally have a douchier vibe yeah it's really to me douchiness is not about the like definition or the etymology it's about who uses it <laughs> if douches <laughs> use it uh, yeah, uh, yeah you don't want to sound like the other people who are awful yeah exactly yeah so. i completely agree so i i need to i need to figure out how i'm gonna break the streak and like 
just do I just write one where suddenly I just say movie? Maybe I've done it accidentally in the past. I mean, I don't think I'm like that good about <laughs> checking, but I know that at one point it was my like official like house style policy, like you know, don't use the word movie in these in these writings. And I, I just and I look back on that and I'm like, what a pretentious douche. Reading old writing occasionally, I find quite helpful to realize how much I still probably suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But it's it's good to know that you're better, but not. Great. But clearly I still have like, <laughs> if I was that bad five years ago, then I'm probably also still that bad in different ways. I just totally like, like you've gotten better, but we all have still have a long, long way to go. So on the theme of culture, I have mm. a fun fact for you. Cool. So fun fact, you may not be aware of this, um, but uh, I learned recently that the award winning musical Hamilton mm. is very good. That. <laughs> That's true. Have you heard of this? So it's like a, it's a Broadway musical came out a couple years ago about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I hadn't seen it because it's quite difficult to go see. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to listen to a soundtrack of a musical I'd never seen because who does that? Uh, but then recently, uh, Nigel at Steam Clock w- had gone and seen it. Um, he'd been able to actually get tickets in Seattle and went down to see it. Um, and... Uh, I started mentioning like, oh, well, you know, one day I'll see it. And he's like, you haven't listened to it? I'm like, well, I'm not going to listen to it. I mean, it's, it'd be spoilers. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, you have to listen to it's it first. It's not spoilers. You have to listen. Just listen to it. He said, yeah. the thing that kind of made a difference to me is he said, it's dense enough and there's enough going on that you will enjoy it more when you actually see it if you've listened to it. 100% agreed. Yeah. So I did, and it turns out it's really good. It's it's really. Good. I don't know if anyone has heard of it before, Hamilton, but <laughs> yeah, you should try check it out. Uh, well, N- Nigel is com- com- completely right. Uh, I think going to see it without having ever heard of it would be or heard it would be really actually difficult uh, because it's so dense and it's so layered, and there's so just much of it that uh, I think you'd be losing yourself. And it would be actually hard to follow along. I think. I'm not Although, actually sure the depth of the American school curriculum that you learn about Alexander Hamilton uh, and, and his sort of cast of characters, but it's not like a huge part of the Canadian education. That is so. shocking. You're telling <laughs> so, me that the first Treasury Secretary wasn't a big figure? The first Treasury Secretary is not like one of those sort of top five characters you, you learn about. And so it was helpful to to actually have... The chance to kind of be listening to it, do some Wikipedia. Yeah. So I think we've covered on the show by now, this is episode four, that I'm a huge nerd. And so I actually was, I'm I'm an American history and history in general buff. And so uh, I was a big fan of the story of part of the story of Alexander Hamilton, mainly just like the fact that at one point in time, the uh, spoiler alert, but I mean, it happened in like (laughs) 1789 or something. So I'm not, you know, I don't feel that bad. Uh, that at one that at one point in time, the the vice president of the United States and the treasury secretary of the United States fought a duel and one of them was killed and the other one didn't get impeached, yeah. uh, which to me was always like, that's insane. Um, so on the one hand, I've always been sort of fascinated by uh, that aspect of Alexander Hamilton and kind of knew a little bit about him, not that much, but like just kind of that story. And then on the other hand, I love history and I love hip hop. So when uh, someone told me that someone had made a uh, hip hop musical about an American historical figure, I was like, I think I'm dreaming or I've just had a stroke or something. And this is not real Um, (laughs) because it's too good to be true. It's it's too good to be true. And then the same person who actually friend of the show, uh, Serenity Caldwell, um, was the one who first told me about it. And I, uh, she was like, you need to listen to this. Like now don't, you're not going to be able to see it. You don't live in that time. It wasn't touring anywhere. So it's like, you're not going to New York. You're not going to see it on Broadway, you know? Um, and, uh, just listen to it. And I, I think like it, it, it had just hit Spotify maybe, or was about to. And the minute it did, I just started listening to it and I was completely obsessed. Uh, and, and so I was listening to it all the time. And then my wife was listening to it all the time. And then, um, this is actually one of the things I am. Uh, proudest of uh, uh, in my like random ways of getting into events. So um, Hamilton was coming here uh, to play in San Francisco and 
there was like a, a very brief period. And I don't think this was well publicized, which is random, but like where you could buy season tickets to that season at the theater here that does musicals. And one of the tickets you would get as part of the season was Hamilton. And you were guaranteed to get Hamilton tickets. And the cost of the entire season was like a fourth of what Hamilton tickets were eventually. <laughs> so so we, we just bought season tickets. Even uh, if you just only went to Hamilton, then the rest, it's still cheaper and better and yeah. easier. And then Obama, so you get every single other musical. Yeah, we ended up show. not really loving any of the other ones. And I think we <laughs> didn't go to one or two and walked out of one. I, you know, whatever. But none of that mattered. They were free. They were free. They were completely free. So we saw Hamilton for just a like ludicrously small amount of money, which was amazing. Um, and uh, and the San Francisco production was great. And, um, you know, my, my I got my parents into it. They went and saw it. Like, I'm such a huge fan. I went on YouTube. I was watching like old videos where Lin-Manuel Miranda was at the white house. Like I'm, I'm definitely a super fan. I, I think there's rumors that the, I know they filmed some performances. There's rumors that a, a movie version is going to come out like, of just like a filmed version of the Broadway version. I, I would, I would watch the, I would watch that a lot. <laughs> I just, I love Hamilton. I haven't, I'm not sure if I've seen a movie a movie i haven't seen a movie um where <laughs> good job you <laughs> it's when i'm talking to you because i know you're so into movies okay so i haven't seen a movie i don't think that was just uh or it's not like a full length of that was just a uh recording of a broadway show i've more so seen things that were either produced for tv like a broadway show yeah, or, or adapted adapted yeah. Um, like the Les Mis one and they happen they do that all the time. They're the, on the roof, uh, yeah. 7076, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you like, is that good? Like the ones that you've seen where it's, they take a Broadway show and they just literally, they, they are doing the Broadway show as they normally do it, but they just happen to film it. Like my instinct is that it's going to be like, you know, it's Hamilton. So it'll be not bad, but it feels like you'll be missing something compared to if it, if the filming can be invasive and, and actually really get in there and well so i wonder how i think it's really going to matter how they did it like if they were willing to get like right into it like if they were kind of dis- disruptive in some sense right on those yeah. two shows like i don't know like I don't if know it, basically my question would be did they film it with an audience as a normal night of hamilton or did they do a okay there's no hamilton this weekend we're gonna do a good job of making a real capture of it uh not capture as if you're sitting in the audience because you don't get the energy of being in the space but trying to capture it a little more like a movie that is very much the question but whatever it is i'm still excited um and i think there's also rumors that not only are they maybe going to release that version but there might also be an adaptation i mean people can't get enough of hamilton I mean, you can't not so, adapt it like the only no. question of the adaptation as often when. these like rumor yeah when and who's gonna who's gonna direct it who's gonna be filming it who's gonna be producing it how much creative everything you know, is gonna get how much money do the people get do we get the original people who played some of these roles are they all actually suitable to doing a movie yeah i think that's what i'm most excited about about just the one they filmed is that it's the original cast from the recording Right. I mean, the cast that did it here in San Francisco did a did a, a fine job, but you know, I'm so used to hearing that recording. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, even just the other day, I was stuck in truly horrific traffic, uh, much like I was today, and I just listened to the whole thing. I mean, it is a very long soundtrack, um, and and I mean, I was like screaming along with it as I'm you know driving <laughs> down the highway or not driving or not really highway. driving if it's taking the entire Hamilton soundtrack yeah. to get home slowly. you're not driving much. Slowly, slowly it was more than that that way i did more than the soundtrack so uh, yeah that that'll tell you how awful that was i thought it was going to get better around the holidays but i think we're not close enough to any particular holiday at the moment no it's very bad <laughs> uh so i have a uh a, a, a something to tell you about that's kind of in a in a different direction hit me fun fact i'll, I'll try to do the format um I grew up watching both American Sesame Street and also the Israeli Sesame Street, which at the time was called Rehov Sumsum. Nice. Yeah, I will interject that I also grew up watching the American Sesame Street and the Canadian Sesame Street. So I, we both had blended Sesame Street experiences. So this is what I was hoping, because I want to talk about the variations of Sesame Street around the world. So I, my guess would be that the Israeli one 
would be non-overlapping like they're not broadcasting english stuff intermixed with or i don't are i assume not no 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 it was definitely different so a uh, uh, from what I can tell, uh, Children's Television Workshop, who produced Sesame Street, uh, worked with uh, other television shows or, or different people in different countries to work on different Sesame, Street's version, Sesame Street versions for those markets. And it turns out that there have actually been a lot of them. Um, there, there were some... In the in the in Rov Sum Sum, there were some similarities to American Sesame Street, and there were uh, definitely some differences. So the differences were that mainly that there was no um, uh, Big Bird. It, instead, there was a, a giant porcupine named uh, Kippy Ben Kipot, and uh, <laughs> and instead of Oscar the Grouch, it was his cousin whose name was Moisha Ufnik. Um, and then even when there were familiar characters, they had slightly different names. So. Kermit the Frog, for example, was Kermit Hatzfardea, which is Kermit the Frog. The Count was Marso Fair, which means basically to count. And uh, probably m- most dearest to my heart as a child is that in instead of Bert and Ernie in Israeli Sesame Street, it was Benz and Arik. So oh, okay, yeah. So uh, that was pretty cool uh, as a child watching watching Sesame Street. Uh, but I so did you go up? So the Canadian version. Sesame Street Canada, do you remember Louis the French Canadian otter or Basil the polar bear? Yeah, I've seen the po- yeah, the polar bear, the otter. Let me google this otter. Yeah, so I think so it's French Canadian is Sesame Street Canada. Or did you grow up on Sesame Park? I don't think so because I think that was n- newer. Yeah, I've seen this otter, Louis the the otter. I've seen this guy. You've seen Louis the Louis the otter? Yeah, I think that, so the, the Sesame Park is what they call it now. I'm pretty sure when I was a kid. I think it was Sesame Street Canada, right? It just said Sesame Street. Well, I'm not sure if it even said Canada. It just was Sesame Street. Or I, oh, okay. I, I was young. But the, the, when the Canadian channel was on and we were just getting the, um, over the air, I think from Bellingham or whatever, when we saw the American one, when we saw the Canadian one, we would get, uh, French uh, inter like occasionally they would have like counting in French or something would happen in French. Yeah, it was like a mixture of French language lessons and yeah. like yeah, it's and, it's, and then it sometimes cool. we'd be watching the American one and then it would just be Spanish language lessons. <laughs> but I my theory is always that I think I saw the American one actually more than the Canadian one okay. because I still the the alphabet song I I end it with uh, Z instead of the canadian zed zed oh wow because it a like I, it's big partially because it came from sesame street um mom would sometimes jokingly curse that she let me watch american sesame street and it corrupted <laughs> my alphabet but also it rhymes uh, too yeah. like z yeah you know yeah no yeah i do know growing up with zed? the correct no. alphabet yeah no not starting a flame war there they're both correct nobody cares uh in in so I want to tell you about a, a few other so there's a, I in the show notes will be a long list of Sesame Street around the world but I just want to talk about some of the ones I I most enjoyed or thought were interesting when I looked through that list and so in Brazil the show is called Zezamo and instead of Big Bird they have a blue bird named Garibaldo and Gugu instead of Oscar the Grouch wait so so they're consistently switching out Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch in each one is there like is that maybe because Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch are seen as unpalatable in other countries other than canada and the united states or i don't know it is pretty common like in germany they have sesamstrasse and it's samson the bear and rumple instead of oscar so so, I, so wait a minute <laughs> i so are you saying that there's people in the world that don't find it appealing to have a a, a character a grouchy person who lives in a garbage can <laughs> teaching their children because uh, i don't know that seems really implausible yeah i mean i do wonder to what degree there's an old dave Chappelle joke about a about how Oscar the Grouch has really trained us not to care about homeless people, oh. which, yeah, it's very, yeah. So, uh, Sesame Street is called Sesame Tree in Northern Ireland and, uh, Play With Me Sesame in the UK. In Kuwait, it's called Ifta Yasimsim and there's a camel named Noman. Uh, and in the Philippines, it's called Batibot and I'm sorry for the pronunciations here, by the way, and had a clumsy turtle named Pong Pagong. Uh, in, uh, in Russia, Ulitsa Sazam has a nine-foot blue tree spirit named Zeli Boba, who apparently really <laughs> enjoys uh, dancing. Cool. And uh, and uh, in in Takalani Sasami from South Africa made a big made big headlines a, a few years ago because they they had a monster named Kami who was HIV plus. And that was that was in which country? 
South Africa. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they're doing a pretty good job of like not just re-wallpapering it, but trying to actually address things that are relevant to the, the countries. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, even in Israel, it, it changed over time. And it's not called Merchov Sumsum anymore. Now it's called Shalom Sesame. And uh, and if I recall correctly, Rechov Sumsum was mostly a way to like teach kids about peaceful coexistence with your neighbors, which is, you know, a good thing to learn. Yeah. I mean, anywhere, but uh, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely there good and then. for that one. Yeah. And it worked super well. Yeah. Uh, and that solved the problem. <laughs> solved all once the problems. And for all. But yeah. no, it's good. I like that. Yeah, me too. No, it's it's really great. The the so anyway, so the, the whole list is fascinating. I, I highly recommend looking at it. But I mean, I knew and you knew because we grew up with it that there was these you know many face, facets of Sesame Street. But I wonder how many people, especially in the United States, just think of it as one, uh, you know, one uh, um, platonic ideal Sesame Street. And uh, you know, there's more there's more Sesame out there to enjoy. Yeah, I think one thing that they probably could do is some of them they could just dub. And I'm sure that they do, but I think it's nice to have local content. Yeah, like you can intermix, like definitely with the Canadian one, probably. I, well, the Canadian one was 80%. a mixture. Yeah. yeah, it was just the American one straight up. But yeah. if it's just like two Muppets talking to each other that haven't been retconned out of the show, <laughs> you could just, like if the count just has a different name and his mouth, his lip syncing isn't exactly. No, you could definitely, you could definitely get away with that. I don't know why you're acting like those aren't real people, the Muppets, but you know, whatever. Uh, but I think for the people, I think it's mainly the people, right? And also that there may be like uh, um, various, by the way, Sesame, Sesame Park was canceled in 2001. What, so what do they have for Sesame Street? For undisclosed reasons. So they just have an American Sesame Street in Canada now? I, I guess. I mean... I mean, you can't not have Sesame... It's like a legal requirement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just have regular... They just have boring American Sesame Street. It's not boring, but they just have American Sesame Street now on Canadian television, on Treehouse TV. Huh. Yeah. yeah do you, do you, is, see... is Treehouse TV a thing in your household? It's apparently well, we, for... have, we have a two-year-old. Um, yeah. So TV and what things, which shows to watch, is increasingly becoming a, a discussion in the house because uh, as a two-year-old, she wants to watch all the things all the time. Um, and uh, when you show a two-year-old something, they want to see the same thing again and again, uh, and it makes them more upset than if they'd never seen it in the first place. Um, so we have not been aggressively introducing lots of new shows. We've been sort of getting reviews from other parents and then and getting the sense, oh, okay, well, this show seems to be uh, well-liked and positive and having, you know, various good attributes. And so we'll show, and we do like just one, like, okay, you can watch a 20-minute thing and then it ends. Yeah, because um, you can definitely get into trouble. I mean, with my niece, there's a show that she, she was watching a lot and got really into, and then we kind of, everyone involved, all the adults involved kind of were like, this is not great. Like some of the messages here are not ideal, and then you which gotta, like, one try to was that? Wean them off. Uh, Peppa Pig. Um, yeah, Peppa Pig. She likes Peppa. I mean, she likes every character. She's two, and she's very positive. So any character you introduce her to, like she likes the lava monster from Moana, <laughs> Taka. Oh, sure. Uh, because uh, Taka gets her heart back and then stops being evil i guess uh and then so she says taka's nice uh so she's she tends to like the characters but then sometimes you have a character that is you know either having stereotypical you know reinforcing stereotypes or being selfish or whiny or whatever then uh then maybe you choose the different characters to present you know at least until they're a little older yeah i think with peppa pig um I think there's a bunch of issues, but for me, it's just that uh, when when she was first watching it, she was watching the German dub, mm. and and then at some point, uh, her mother decided to have her watch the English language version to improve her English, and it turns out that that's a British show, which I didn't know until. Yeah, <laughs> and I hate the way they sound. I mean, I, <laughs> it's and I, I have nothing against British English, but I just those characters sound so much better in German than they do in in English. Uh, but I think the 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 parents uh don't love it, it's like you said. There's some stereotype reinforcing in that show that I think is a little bit uh problematic. Some of them like there's another German show um. Uh, called Connie, which she loves, which I just find the characters to be, I just find the main character to be incredibly boring. Uh, like I just, she's a lot of cool stuff happens to her and to the people around her, but she just seems super duper boring to me. So yeah, I don't know. She's not actually engaging with what's going on. Yeah. She's just like kind of a nothing character to me. And I, I, I've read Connie books like a 
billion times now, <laughs> you know, because to your point, it's the same. It's the same stuff over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So, yeah. But yeah. So you want to try to find stuff that, that you really like. Yeah. Something that she's gotten really into is Frozen, which is it's very stereotypical. Um, I have not seen Frozen yet. You should see uh, if you haven't seen Frozen and Moana, which are the two. Also have not seen Moana. Sort of. Uh, they're not the two most recent Disney movies because there's like Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia and stuff, but they're the two most recent like stereotypically Disney. It's about a princess, uh, even though they don't ever call Moana a princess, actually, which is thoughtful. I think, they, I think they're in the post-princess era, no? Uh, well, definitely Frozen isn't because they are in a more medieval setting, so they refer to them as oh, princesses. Okay. Um, although then one of the characters becomes a queen, which is kind of what I'm getting at, which is that... Um, so, But you they're... they're more worth watching than you would think especially moana is good um but frozen is extremely extremely popular with uh young girls and all the merchandise i've and seen like that. yeah i've seen the merch i've seen zootopia i like that one yeah zootopia was great but my point about frozen that i always think is interesting and i guess this is a fun fact for any if anyone's familiar with frozen and if you're not i'll keep it brief is that the movie is about uh these two sisters and um, primarily about this sister anna um who is played by Kristen bell who's awesome and this he's she's kind of this semi-bumbling funny uh uh kind of humble uh princess who has a sister who ends up uh who has these kind of sort of dark powers and her sister ends up sort of running away and causing most of the problems in the in the movie mm, um mm. and her sister elsa is the is the other character and so in the in the movie basically elsa is kind of the antagonist even though she's relatively sympathetic and all of the marketing and all of the planning for the movie was around anna who's the main character and has almost all of the lines and almost all of the songs and is kind of the focus from the but beginning all to i the see end is primarily. elsa stuff don't i all you see is elsa stuff today yeah, yeah because that's all i see all, <laughs> all the girls who saw it was like okay so you have one character who's like kind of funny but also a little bit ditzy and doesn't you know isn't awesome basically and then you have this <laughs> other character who becomes the queen and then gets um magical ice powers and can like shoot yeah that's hard ice to and with. snow and uh has this extremely sort of like uh powerful song at the climax of the film and it's uh at the climax of the movie and uh it's uh it's uh was just completely took them off guard and like within the like when as soon as the movie came out just elsa stuff which was in the minority uh, was under extreme demand and there was honest stuff everywhere because they, they just had had no idea the adults and like as an adult watching the movie i probably would have made the same assumption like without thinking about it too much that the the kind of funny charming Kristen bell character who's the main character is the main character like so if you like this movie you'll like this um uh, but yeah no they they like the badass queen instead kids are front runners man they yeah. just like the they like the badass one we haven't she's only seen it twice but she goes around our two-year-old ellie she goes around she's only seen frozen twice but she's often uh just kind of when she's playing pretend or whatever she'll be going you're like what are you doing uh, i'm using ice magic yeah yeah so i remember when when my uh when my nephews were little they were obsessed this was during the avatar the last airbender era <laughs> yeah. which i love that show i think that is for adults as well but they love that show and so we would all the time when i was seeing them we would play games where they had they were various kinds of benders that i don't remember from the show you know like blanket benders and lava benders <laughs> and all kinds of interesting things it was super fun so yeah i, I would totally support someone running around with using your ice magic yeah definitely uh definitely they they uh the characters that actually are active in the stories are more appealing to me and the ones of the frozen does have definitely some stereotype reinforcing but it as far as a disney movie it's backed away a little bit from like you know it, the moral of the story is not to get married which is nice oh that is nice yeah. or or that a prince will come and solve all your problems yeah there is a prince but he ends up being a, a jerk so okay well i don't know it's sure great that sounds, it certainly sounds interesting. Some amount of progress. It's, some, it's definitely some amount of yeah, progress. Yeah, and then Moana, which is the next one, Moana gets to, there's no prince at all, and like, oh, oh that's uh, you know, interesting. Moana can just do stuff and solve problems uh, yeah. without having any romantic. What? 
what? <laughs> say what? The doctor said, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's very, it's amazing, but uh, you yeah, know, <laughs> it's possible. Incredible. Yeah, so we, we encourage that, Moana. Okay, fun fact. It is not a good idea for your office to share a bathroom with a school. Uh, that seems logically true. Right, you would think that, but past me, past you didn't realize that was did a bad not. Call. Re- so, in my past me's defense, okay, um, let's defend your defend I, your past self. I try not to overly defend my past self, but sure. in this case, we were looking at offices, and this, we've been in this office at work for a few years now. But is it the one we I've looking, been to? Is it still that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's the same yeah, one. That's a while um, though. It's a while we've been there, but when we were first scoping it out, it had. Uh, a few tenants in in the building, and one of the tenants was a school, a language school, right? Oh, not not an, not an elementary okay. school. This is getting a more language school. And so I kind of didn't really think too much of that, but it's like, okay, well, yeah, school. That's like schools are places of education and scholarship, and yeah, okay. It didn't really occur to me to think that that you know, of all the tenants you could have, that that would be a particularly disruptive neighbor. But it's a language school that's primarily, um, that's primarily enrolled by, uh, and primarily frequented by, primarily. Uh, studented? No, I don't know. I don't know what the. <laughs> it's a language school that is primarily studented by. <laughs> I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's primarily studented by new uh, people who have just graduated high school. Okay. And then come uh, to, to Canada in the sort of 18 to 19 year old range to, and then they are partaking in the school's English curriculum in order to be able to, to succeed in Canada, succeed in Canada, which is great. Like, you know, good on them to have the initiative and, and, you know, we were very welcoming in Vancouver, at least of, of people, uh, coming from various places. But it turns out when you put a whole bunch of 18-year-olds in a confined space and then you share a bathroom with them, it is, it is, uh, it's bad. All the things are bad. The doors <laughs> are, bra- bra- are broken the, uh, half the time. The sinks are clogged. The toilets, I mean, the toilets definitely are clogged, but I would say that my favorite one that happened relatively recently is that, uh, <laughs> so the toilet broke. Uh, like uh, broke, broke, okay. which doesn't tend to happen. No. Um, and then a sign appeared uh, in the handwritten, of course, that said, students, please, in all caps, do not squat on the toilets. They may break. Oh, um, yeah. And so you're getting a combination of 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 18 still figuring out maybe how you uh be a reasonable citizen in a shared washroom environment and then also like maybe you have not interacted with the western washroom before um so yeah it's yeah lots of handwritten signs we're not we don't even put up the hand because like there's so many different things that we could put passive aggressive signs about that they may or may not uh you know, we may or may not be able to write them in the language that they can read. Um, but the, the the number of things in between the doors and the toilets and the floors and the, they got something on the ceiling at one point uh, that we just kind of just do our best to ignore it. Uh, but then the school <laughs> is getting complaints from the building management. So the school is always putting up the passive aggressive handwritten notes um, that the students are ignoring. Or, or or there's always new students because they learn English. Oh, the after, turnover! Yeah, they, the turnover. They, every group eventually uh, acclimates to the to the rules of the place they're in, but then they leave, and then yes. new people come in and they don't know. It's eternal September. Wow how yes. how long do you know? What's the cycle? Um, I'm actually I'm not entirely sure. I think it's probably twice a year that they come through. That's that seems pretty like that. often. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not like a four-year program where they're getting yeah. like a a bachelor degree in speaking English. Well, and it's also like in a in a traditional school, uh, there's there's continuity because people are going from one grade to the next. New people are coming in, so they're learning from the people ahead of them. Yeah, which I'm not sure that's happening. Or no, it it's is, probably the, a whole the, new group. <laughs> the things they're learning do not extend to to uh, Here's a way to maybe stay relatively tidy when you use oh my the facilities. <laughs> I never, I've been in that bathroom. I don't remember seeing anything traumatizing. I guess I was lucky, but maybe it was near the end of a semester. Well, I mean, the building management tries to, right? They try, 
right? They, yeah. you know, when there's a problem, they fix it. When there's a mess, they clean it. Well, and you use it every day, multiple times. I mean, I used it, you know, only a few times. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, so the moral of the story is that if you're if you're looking at offices, uh, which we are now, ask about, ask about offices, schools. There's lots of things you could look for, and and one of them you may not think of is like who who are you sharing this these facilities with? Who are you sharing the washroom with? And you think of disruptive tenants, um, schools, right up there. I feel like this is going to be an ongoing segment where we talk about the things you learn about looking for office space. Uh, yeah, definitely it could be I. <laughs> Looking for office space in Vancouver is not, I'm sure San Francisco is the same. Uh, It's not entirely a straightforward, uh, yeah, just show me the options. Uh, I mean, they have options, but they have a tendency to just ignore your requirements. Like one of our reasons that we're looking for a better office, uh, besides the uh, washrooms being a a vortex of destruction, is that we want a larger kitchen area um, that's separate from our meeting room. Uh, So we don't, because right now we just have a little sink. Um, and the first place the real estate agent shows us has no running water. <laughs> okay. And, and we're like, okay. And that like, seems like it doesn't fit into what we said. The landlord is motivated, he says, and, and we could probably cut a deal oh, uh, oh. on this place with no, with no All running right. water. Well, cool. <laughs> and so Nigel and I are trying to be charitable and we're like, well, you know, it's a nice view. Uh, um, what would be involved in getting a running water? And he's like, well, there's a little bit of a problem. There's a multi-million dollar server farm immediately below this unit. So insurance wise, we're not allowed to have running water. In it. <laughs> but the, the landlord's motivated to move yeah, it to cut, so. a, to, to cut a deal. Yeah, yeah that uh, that makes me think of two things. The, first of all, I I think the office market in San Francisco is complicated and and crazy, but I think it was worse uh, in the first dot com uh, boom because at the time it kind of came out of nowhere and there wasn't really a lot of office space. And I remember just seeing horrible stories in the local paper of things like the one that really has always stuck with me was that a uh, um, some stupid web company that definitely doesn't exist anymore was kicking an orphanage out of their building. Uh, yeah. And the guy was like, I don't know, man, we got to put our office somewhere. And it's like, wow, that was like yeah. the, I, I remember because it was one of the first moments where I was like, whatever's happening here, definitely not all, <laughs> not all good. Um, and then on the lighter side, which is why I did it in this order. Uh, my parents were once looking for a new home. Uh, actually I think it was their first house they ever bought. Um, and, <laughs> the 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 real estate agent or whoever that was showing them around they they went to one house that had no kitchen what and uh and they were like what where's the kitchen and the the the, the landlady was like yeah the people who lived here before never ate at home and so they Whoa. they they remodeled the kitchen to have another room in their house <laughs> which i have to imagine has got to negatively affect your resale value I've been told by a real estate agent that the number one thing is the kitchens and bathrooms and the state of them. Yeah. Um, so but none I, would be a problem. Zero. <laughs> it seems like seems it bad. Might, might be a problem. They're like, yeah, you yeah. could put one in. It's like, that's a huge project. Yeah. Renovate <laughs> a kitchen is a huge project. Yeah. Add a kitchen. Yeah. I mean, I guess you'd get what you want. But. That's, well, I mean, you would too probably be renovated. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true, too. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. As long as they're not above a server yep. room, I guess. Yep, yep. As long as there's not a million dollar server farm underneath their kitchen. Yeah, then you should be fine. Then you should be fine.